Welcome to our Wonder Women podcast, the main podcast for the business magazine for women.com. In our podcasts, just like in our magazine, we're focused on promoting women's voices in business, technology, STEM, politics, sports, arts, and culture. My name is Monica Antohi. I'm the founder of the business magazine for women.com and the host for today's podcast. Today, we're talking about finances again, and we'll probably be doing that again in the future as well. We're realizing the massive differences in where women are financially today and where we should be. And we're seeing that women get to retirement age with about 50% of what men do. So today we're talking about finance, about money and about the women in that industry. It's a fascinating conversation. It includes a deep dive into our current tax code and its long-term implications for us and the next generation. Brace yourself. So today we're touching on all of that in our conversation with one of America's top 100 financial advisors, our Wonder Woman of today, Ms. Rebecca Walzer of Walzer Wealth Management. She's the CEO of Walzer Wealth, the author of Wealth Unbroken, and she's an expert and nationally recognized tax attorney with regular appearances on national television and digital media like Bloomberg Business, CNBC, Wall Street Journal, Yahoo Finance, Fox Business, and many, many more. But before I take you to our conversation, I'd like to mention our first official conference called More Women, More Money, coming up April 4th in Houston, Texas. The Business Magazine for Women prides itself in being the only female-focused business magazine that's changing how women are perceived in the media so that we can reduce sexism, reduce inequality, and increase diversity in the workplace, which will not only benefit us as we build a more equal society, but it'll also increase earnings and reduce costs for corporations. Check out morewomenmoremoney.com for details about the conference and to get your early bird tickets and also to select your level of involvement either as a sponsor vendor or participant. We're very excited and we're looking forward to seeing you all there. Now let's get you to our conversation with Rebecca Walzer. Hello, Rebecca, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Monica. Glad to be here. So let's introduce you to the audience. Let's figure out who Rebecca is and, and why you're so important to the conversation, because you are very important to the national conversation uh, for sure. But let's figure out who you are first. So who is Rebecca Walzer? So I am, I'm not, this is not who I am, but it's what I do for sure. So I am um, a, my whole background is in finance. I was in finance, my undergrads in finance, graduated top of my class, was working internationally with PricewaterhouseCoopers at the age of 21 and did that for many years before I went and got my law degree from Florida. And then I went on and got my advanced law degree in taxation from NYU New York University in New York City. And then I um, went back into a holistic practice doing law and finance and uh, became a certified financial planner. And then I basically had my own practice for about four years and I wrote my and released my first book this past January. So I've been in finance and law for 20 years combined together. It's, it's spectacular. So what brought you to finance? Why did you, st- I mean, basically you went to school to learn finance, you know, from yeah. day one in, in college you were in finance. You know, is, is, you know, is that part of your background? Are you coming from a finance industry, like from, from a finance family? Yeah, no, I had a unique situation when I was a really little girl. I was four years old and my literal first memory I ever had was going into the bathroom and turning on the light switch and the light's not coming on. And thinking that the light was broken, finding my mom and having my mom sit me down and explain that there are things called bills in life that take money to pay them. 
And if you don't have enough money, you could, your lights could go out because you haven't paid all your bills. So I was really introduced. My first memory really is about learning about money. And I think that as much as my parents um, did a wonderful job uh, and I wouldn't change anything about my childhood because it made me who I am, I really feel like that insecurity at four years old uh, burned something into me that said basically I have to do everything in my power, humanly possible, to understand everything there is to understand about math, finance, economics, and eventually that became law and tax. And that's what's driven me is that four-year-old memory, and I, I can never be satiated. It's constantly making me go more, 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 you know. And I and I feel like um, it's sort of parlayed into my own practice because I it's the feeling of lack of control when you're that young and you feel like there's not maybe stability or security. Um, you carry that forward as an adult, and you realize what you're really looking for is security and control. And that really is where my niche is and my passion is, is helping the world really understand, America understand where we are, what's coming, and why their control is in jeopardy. Right. So basically for you, that's, you know, um, memory from when you were four years old, it's, it's basically what set you up for the rest of your life. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, there's like so many things like, oh, gr girls are not good at math and girls are not good at money and blah, blah. That does not seem to be the case with, you know, with any woman that I speak with, you know, that's in finance or, or actually with pretty much any woman, but it's more about what you're encouraged to do. So, you know, obviously you were self-driven, you know, to go into finance. Um, you found no issues with math and numbers and everything <laughs> yeah, else. So, like, did you actually have a problem with math and finance, you know, at all through through school, through you know, um, before even undergrad, like, or that was just like I'm gonna do it because I have to do it. You know, no, I actually, I, I am blessed in that category. I, I've always loved school. I've always math has always come very easily to me. I don't know why. I mean, I'm, both my parents are borderline genius, so it could be that. Um, but no, I, I never had any problem uh, understanding math or, or loving it. And I just loved it. And I respected it, I think, so much from such a young age. So, um, you know, as far as women, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, Monica, but as far as women, I mean, women that are in married households, most of the time, they're the ones making the financial decisions. There are some men still, for sure, that are making the decisions. But I will tell you that behind the scenes, a lot of women are the ones that are directing the financial decision-making of their household. And, of course, if they're single, they're also making their own decisions. So we have more women in America making financial decisions overall than men. And so we better know what we're doing. We better be good at this stuff. Absolutely. And so, but that's not the case a lot of times. Like you've seen that is not the case. So even though, yes, we're running the finances, yes, we're doing all that stuff. Um, we seem to not have enough money of retirement. Basically, you know, the, the studies come out with, you know, we're, we're getting to retirement by 50, you know, 50% of what our significant others are, you know, getting to, to retirement with because we're sitting home, you know, raising children or we're taking a break to take care of, you know, um, uh, aging parents or whatever it is. We seem to be the caretakers and because we seem to be the caretakers, we don't end up, you know, progressing our career past a certain point because we don't have, we're not in, in the industry for a long enough time and we, you know, we can't dedicate 16 hours a day like the men do, like some men do, um, to their careers. So, 
that's terrifying. So besides that point, <laughs> so we need to figure out a way how to um, how to get to that point, how to get to having women make about what men are doing. So how do you do that? So besides having a job where you're going to make 50%, basically, because we have to accept that at this point, you know, working towards fixing it, but how do you do, how do you improve those numbers without just work, just, you know, on, with stuff on top of work, with investment and tax, you know, and that kind of stuff. So how do we do those? Uh, I think you're exactly right, Monica. What we have to realize is that women have a lot of cards already stacked against us. Not to be sexist, but this is the truth. And the sooner we recognize that, the younger we are that we recognize right. that, and that we make allowances for it the better we will be off when we are at the point of retirement. And it's about really having all financial security in control. That's what my whole message is about. So what we have to look at with a male versus a female is say the female does have a lot more career interruptions by natural order of types of things than the male does. So if a, a female is married and either her in-laws or her natural parents um, are getting old and need some kind of caretaking, the female will interrupt her career more times than not than the male will. So that's the first career interruption, pay interruption. The second thing, of course, is our children. If we have any kind of ch special needs child, that's a career interruption. Having children is a career interruption. And then, you know, when children are off going to college, you know, we might have taken a demotion or a downgrade in, in a lifestyle or a pay so that we could have more of a flexible life work-life balance and now we're going back into the workforce full-time or gung-ho ready to give it all we have and we're a lot older and maybe our skill set is a little bit outdated and so we're facing that as well so we've got a lot of factors as a woman as the natural caretaker in a lot of circumstances in america that we have these career interruptions so what this means is we have to recognize and account for that financially. What is the financial and mathematical impact into our right. plan? And a lot of women don't do this. And because they don't do this, they end up, you know, working as they can, as life allows them to. And then they get to retirement and they wonder why their husband's 401k or their husband's IRA or their husband's plan has, you know, twice or three times the amount that they have. And this is the reason. So what we have to do is really start to recognize at a very young age that if we choose to take the more traditional route of being the one that interrupts the career mm -hmm. path and the career income, that's okay, but we have to make allowances for it. Perhaps instead of the husband putting everything into his 401k, we redirect after-tax dollars instead into an account in the wife's name, specifically earmarked for retirement, so we can sort of adjust these you know, unanticipated uh, consequences that a lot of people don't think through. That's a great advice. Um, you know, we'll ask for more details as, as the podcast goes on. But um, another idea would be not necessarily like I'm talking from just a, a woman's point of view. I'm not saying like let's have the husband, you know, uh, or, you know, rewire the money, wire the money into her account. What are the things that we can do? Um, because women tend to save more than invest. So because we're saving more, we don't invest as much. So, you know, our returns are not as, as big. Obviously, because of the savings account, it's, it's, you're not going to get any sort of money back. So um, what investment do you think would be appropriate for long term, especially if you're thinking about, you know, uh, retirement? If you're thinking about getting to, you know, 56 years old, you know, with, with a good enough chunk of money that will last you 
because uh, I mean, we live longer. Also, if you think about it, we live longer by five to ten years on average. So, if you know, for us to get to that point where we're by ourselves and our income just dropped to that amount, um, you know, we need to be able to have you know a lot more than that <laughs> to last us through um, all the way through. So, what ideas? Uh, what do you? What suggestions do you have for for that? Well, the first thing is, is that I think women need to understand the difference between saving and investing mm-hmm. uh, because there, there's a huge difference. And saving is going to fail you if you're looking for your savings to do what your investing is supposed to be doing. They're completely two different goals. So our savings account and what we have as liquid funds, you know, ready to be written a check on, some sort of money market checking or savings account that we could access today if we had you through the bank. We shouldn't really have much beyond six months of total expenses in that account. And if we are saving beyond six months of liquid expenses, then we are over saving. And what we're doing is we're combining a savings goal with an investment goal. And a lot of women I find do this when it comes to, well, that's really what I'm putting away for my kids' um, you know, college fund. Yeah. No, that's not the appropriate place for your kids' college fund. That's not going to grow at the interest rates we've had. We call it, we call it lower for longer. We've had the lowest interest rates in the history of our country for the last, since 2009. So the lowest interest rates for the longest period of time, and that's not going to do us any favors for longer-term goals like our children's college fund. So we definitely need to separate, separate and you know, basically siphon off savings and investing from each other. And beyond six liquid months of savings, some people like to have 12 months. That's fine if you want to go as high as 12 months. Beyond 12 months, you're really over saving and you're combining your long-term goals with a, a short-term savings account that's going to do nothing for you and it's really going to fail you long-term. And a lot of women are afraid to invest. They don't know where to invest. They don't know what to invest in. And so they instead do nothing. They let the lack of knowing freeze them, and they put the money instead into liquid savings. I do have a lot more women that have overstaved than men. And so what we have to do is not allow the lack of knowledge or the lack of knowing what to do make us do nothing. I mean, it would be better off for these women to open a very, you know, individual, small, very cheaply managed Vanguard account with some basic investment options than keeping an overall balance in savings, um, depending on how soon the goal is coming up, though, what, what they're actually investing for. So we have to look at the time frame, of course, and every person is different, and every person's risk tolerance is different. So it's really hard on a general podcast to just give out general investment advice. But what I will right. definitely say is if you have beyond 6 to 12 months of liquid uh, savings, you have oversaved and you are basically combining your long-term and short-term investment goals with your savings, and that is a big no-no because it will fail you. It will just not be enough. It is not going to grow fast enough to just compound inflation, never mind the time value of money and what you should actually be growing. It needs to be growing and and working for you, and the only way that's going to happen is if you actually make it into an investment. So, Rebecca, this is fantastic advice. I mean, I have not heard um, the six months or 12 months um, advice up to now. So this is like really amazing. Um, and I'm sure a lot of a lot of women are like, oh no, no, I, I want longer just to make sure that I'm safe because we we come from that perspective a lot. We need to have make we need to make sure everybody's okay. We need to make sure that we have a roof over our head, that our bills are paid, and everything's fine. 
So we think longer term, you know, on savings. We don't think, hey, that's not really a good idea, but the numbers are totally stacked against us. If we're putting it in a savings account, like you said, the interest rates are so incredibly low. And then, you know, you're talking about the fact that the economy is kind of like not going the same way that, you know, the investment account is going. So the investment, the savings account is going. So if your rate in the savings account is smaller than the inflation uh, percentage, then you're losing money. Right. Exactly. So, um, so yes, amazing advice. Save six months, um, invest the other one. You don't need to, you don't even, how much can you invest? I mean, the investment thresholds are, are fairly low at this point, aren't they? Oh, yeah, of course. You can open a simple account with, you know, $1,000. I mean, you don't even need $1,000. You could open an account for less than that. There's so many options. There's so many things, even in the robo space. I mean, there's a lot of things that you don't need to have a personal advisor for. Like, robo-advising is a new area that I think will be very helpful to a lot of women that are paralyzed with lack of knowledge of what, lack of direction of what to do. Um, the thing that the robo space is not going to give women, it's going to give them great access to, you know, stuff that they don't have to go seeking a professional about. They don't right. have to put off and say, I don't know what I'm doing. But the, what it's not going to do is not going to do the soft goals, which is where experts like me come in. Let's build right. out a long-term plan. Let's account for you might take off so many years because you're taking care of an ailing mother or father or whatever the case may be. You're, you stopped out of the workforce to have a couple of children, and that took out three or four or five productive years of your yeah. earning years. So, you know, the soft things will never be able to be done by a computer system. You're always going to need that, that person that talks to you about what happens in the event we go from two incomes to one income in the event of a divorce or in the event of a, becoming a widow or in the event of losing more additional income. So these are the soft goals that having an actual personal relationship with an advisor, a financial expert, will help you with. But a lot of women just don't have the time, don't think they have the access, don't think they have the capability or the money. And so they don't do anything and they put it into a checking or savings account. Yeah. Which is um, scary because you mentioned divorce. Um, a lot of, I mean, it's 50%, like the, the numbers are there. 50% of marriages, Greater first than, marriages. Yeah. Uh, first marriages and then, and, and then divorce. Um, that depends on the state, but that usually, you know, let's say you've been sitting, you've been, you've been at home raising children, right? And you end up in divorce, and you, 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 you're at the end, and it's like, um, I have no money, I have no job, and uh, my kids need everything. <laughs> and I have, let's say, I have some savings account because I, you know, I've been doing that. It's terrifying, you know. Yeah, like there's, and there's a lot of women in in this situation, you know, not hopefully not that many, but there's still a lot of women dealing yeah. with um, either coming back into the workforce or finding themselves in that situation. And like like we talked about, it's tough going back into the workforce after you've been out for for a while. You know, skills need to be updated and all that stuff. So financially, um, going back into that. Um, what are the tools that you think would help um, women, and, and I, I don't just mean, you know, divorced women, I mean every woman out there to, um, to you know, to, to tax-wise, let's talk taxes, because I think that's where we can save a lot of money. Yeah. Well, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that you just said that I'd like to tie, sort of take down into a couple of different nuggets. But from a tax perspective, what I'll tell you is, with, for example, the new tax law reform that we just had in 2017 yeah. is effective this year, 2018. So the child tax credit for children that are 17 and under, so my, minors, has been doubled now from 1,000 to 2,000, and it is now actually refundable. So what that means is, that in addition to whatever actual, I'm so sorry, my, my email is uh, going off. I should just have actually got out of it. But anyways, I'm so sorry. Um, 
So the, the child tax credit is refundable, and it's refundable up to a certain amount of money. So basically, it actually can help women that have young children that are 17 or under um, with with the tax laws, and 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 all of the tax brackets have been reduced. So women will also get a benefit, just like everybody else. From that perspective, is the tax actual taxation is gone down. But the but the encouraging thing about divorce. If there is anything encouraging about divorce, right? Monica, Let's uh, please give the, us something good about this. The silver lining of divorce is when um, there there are so many more opportunities for women today than there ever have been. If you think back from the 50s to the 90s, women have been very have had it very very difficult. Unless you were a nurse, you know, in World War II, or you were some right. sort of you know educated woman that had a you know a job that was a woman's job like a nurse or something like that uh, airline stewardess something like that you didn't have you know a lot of um, commonality or equilibrium with men all the way I'd say through the even the 80s and the, and the 90s but even through the 80s and 90s we had women that had to go get a four-year degree find a professional job, and if that hasn't been your route or your path in life, and all of a sudden you're divorced, now what do you do? In 2018, in the world of social media and the world of smartphone apps right. and the world of webinars and work from home and become an entrepreneur, women that have some sort of unique gifts have a lot more opportunity to make their own podcast, become their own you know, consultant, do their own kind of coaching, have their own webinars start their own home-based business. There's so many more opportunities for women than there ever have been because there's so many barriers that get broken through by just being able to connect to people through social media and through your own voice through the Internet. So I would encourage women from that perspective, is there something unique or some kind of gift that you have that going to a traditional four-year degree program isn't going to bring out of you and you're just going to be one another member trying to get a job and it's really not going to amount to anything or do you have a special gift that if you found the right channels, you could really promote and get out there and that is so encouraging, I think. Now, I will say, if you don't have anything that you want to share or care to share, let's say you, you're gifted but you just don't like sharing, because there's a lot of people that are very reserved and shy and just say, right. no way, that's not for me, then I will tell you, it would be my advice on the financial side, if that is the case, and if you really see that the only route you have is a traditional route, I see a lot of women that um, take a job to pay the bills and then go to school at night, and they're literally trying to manage getting that traditional degree with the regular job paying the bills, with managing their children, and, and a single, I don't know, these are the women that should be like the icons of society, because how they do it is phenomenal. But I will tell you, if there would be an alternate scenario that they could work out for like one or two years, where they could go back, it's okay, where they could go um, back maybe and live with their parents at home with their children for two years and quickly finish that degree instead of taking six years at night to do it. Yeah. And they could do it in two years and sort of lean on family for those two years to just get them on the track. They, the sooner they can get that traditional job that they know that's their route, the faster, the better. Because that's four years of time that we could right. be at that higher salary than the six years of time that we're just, you know, barely making it because we're trying to do school and kids and make, do take this job that's just getting our bills paid. So it's a lot longer of a road. And if they have the resource and the, and the support in the community, whether it's family or friends, 
that is a much faster route for them to get really stabilized on their feet. And that's what I would tell them to do. Rebecca, that's like amazing because you talked about the two options. First of all, we have two options like you were saying right now, the traditional route, which is student loans and, you know, college and all that stuff, going the, the career way. And then you have the entrepreneurial, uh, entrepreneurial way. So there's a lot of women who, yes, they started in the traditional way. And then, you know, with, with career interruption, with, you know, um, children or anything like that, they're like, I need to go back into the workforce, but I cannot go back into the workforce working, you know, 12 hours that I used to work before. It's impossible, right? Because you have, you know, different responsibilities points. And somehow you still have student loans to take care of. You have mortgage to take care of. You have child, you know, um, care to take care of. So you have all these uh, responsibilities that still are on you, but then you cannot go back to work full time because somebody has to take care of the child, somebody has to take care of everything else. So the entrepreneurial side is important as well. And like like you said, it's 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 a great um the time to be living in because twenty eighteen is it's you know it's amazing about you know how much uh, opportunity there is and you know through social media and through the through the internet and like all the like you have a bit of knowledge and you can expand on that and you can get better, become an expert at what you do and basically just you know make it happen as an entrepreneur. But um as an entrepreneur, hmm we don't have the same tax, tax, tax cuts that, you know, um, an employee does. So but there's different um, advantages. What do you think, uh, I'm not saying which one's better because they both have advantages on their own, but what do you think the advantages are for each um, as an entrepreneur and as a, you know, as a, um, an employee? Well, you know, as a W-2 employee, they automatically get half of all of their payroll taxes covered by the employer. So in other words, a lot of people think, well, this is what I'm making, this is all I'm making, but what they don't realize no. is the employer is paying 7.5% of yeah. their payroll taxes, which are going to what we call FICA taxes, Social Security and Medicare taxes, that are helping build up their Social Security benefit. Now, I personally don't believe that uh, Gen Xers that are 40 five and under and certainly millennials. I don't build plans with people that are 45 and under counting on social security just because okay. I know what the TV show us and I know that the social security is going to be reserved for those that have basically nothing else. And my clients were building a plan and we're planning on having assets. So social Deep security, process. I think, yeah, social security is going to be, if it's there, it's going to be a bonus. It's not going to be something that we count on in the plan for 45 and under. Um, but one of the benefits of being a W-2 employee is definitely that your employer is picking up half of those costs. And that's a huge cost. Believe me, I'm, I'm an employer. I know how much these yeah. costs are. Um, <laughs> so anyone that's an entrepreneur that pays for employees knows. So the, the W-2 employee does, does have that. Of course, they have a lot of other benefits. I will tell you, as a tax attorney, one of the biggest um, conventional financial fallacies in this country that came about in the 80s, that made sense in the 80s, but does not make any sense in 2018, and a large part of my book, Wealth Unbroken, is about this specific fallacy, is the 401k and how wonderful the 401k plan is. So my advice from a tax law perspective, if you're an employee and you have an employer who's offering you a match, is these three points. The first point would be ask if you can get the match if you're contributing to a Roth plan inside of the employer. A lot of employers are introducing Roth for the first time. I've seen a huge increase in the last year and a half from the amount of people I've been talking to that said now their employer does offer the Roth. And a lot of employers are matching Roth contributions into traditional. Employees have to understand that the employer will still match their contribution most likely into the traditional because they're looking for that tax deduction for that match. 
they yeah. will not get that tax deduction in a Roth, which is an after-tax contribution. So they're going to still make the their their, contri their match into the traditional, while you maybe make yours into the Roth. The wow. first thing is, if you want the match and you can get it inside of the Roth, definitely use the Roth. The second least you know, not as good as number one, but still good, is if they don't offer you a match if you make a Roth contribution, is to make the traditional contribution, but only up to the point to get the match. Beyond the match is really the problem, and that's where conventional finance is wrong. It's just flat out wrong. What been saying? Well, we've been saying the match voucher 401k since the 1980s, 1981 specifically, when it really started to come into fruition and global um, financial corporations, global America, like all the multinational corporations that used to offer pensions if you worked there for 30 years, you yeah. know, um, basically those plans over the 80s and 90s went by the wayside and we moved to a self-contributing platform, which is the 401k. Mm -hmm. And they moved to a match instead of a guaranteed pension plan. And they saved them billions of dollars. So it was a smart move for them, but not a smart move for the American people because they didn't understand what was going on. And now we're dealing with the repercussions of that, which is why we have this massive retirement savings gap. But the bottom line is, if you are in 2018 and you have a traditional employer who has a 401k plan who offers you a match, you only want to contribute to the match. And then beyond the match, beyond your dollar going and getting matched, you want to redirect dollars outside of the employer and outside of a 401k because a pre-tax plan in 2018 no longer makes any financial sense. Okay. Uh, that's really great advice. And so the extra money that you would otherwise put into a Roth IRA, or not into a um, 401k or Roth IRA, um, put it into an investment account. So it'll, it'll do you much better. Um, you know, so... Yeah, well, I would tell you that if your employer doesn't offer the Roth or you've contributed funds up to the match and now you have, you know, this money that you're not contributing elsewhere, definitely look at a Roth IRA. If you can do a Roth IRA, if you're not income phased out of a Roth IRA, the income phased out limit for a married couple is about $189,000 in 2018. So as long as you're not grossing $189,000 or more, then you should be able to do, you know, each individual, each couple, each person in the marriage or each single person should be able to do a Roth IRA. And then if you do make too much to do a Roth, there are some other um, tax-advantaged investment accounts that I talk about in Wealth and Brooklyn that are applicable to those kinds of people that are really, it's a really great opportunity to build tax-advantaged wealth that will really serve you well when the tax rates go up because that's what's coming and that's what no one's talking about is that we can't sustain the tax base that we have. The only reason we got a tax cut in 2017 was so that President Trump yeah. could actually get the repatriation of one, you know, two to three trillion dollars that has been sitting offshore for a decade back onto shore of America. And he wanted that as an economic windfall. And I think that, you know, it is going to be brought back and the, the money that's not used as a stock fallback will eventually help the economy. So I think it will be a helpful Thing for America. However, um, from a tax perspective, you know, this is the last little glimmer we have before the real taxation for the rest of probably our lifetime will come because the baby boomers are about to retire in mass. We've got four years until the right. baby boomers start to really retire in mass in 2022. And we have our debt, our national debt now over 21 trillion. And at once it gets to the 30 trillion mark, it's kind of a point of no return. So the 30 trillion mark of retirement of the baby boomers gives us a tax picture that is just the frankly the ugliest tax picture we've ever had in the history of our country. 
So building wealth inside of a pre-tax account loses all of its luster very, very quickly. So basically the decision to uh, redo the taxes right now was not really a good idea long term at all because it's going to actually help increase the, you know, the national debt. It's, gonna, it's putting a lot of pressure on us, um, especially in the younger generation because we're going to end up with carrying all the taxes and paying for everything that's happening right now for everybody that's benefiting right now from this tax code, uh, the new tax code. So um, yeah, we're not very happy. So anything that we can do pre-tax basically um, would be a great idea. But um, so even in retirement, when you're taking that money out, you, you, you end up paying taxes on that money, correct? It's not tax-free money. It's money that you, you know, that you saved during your lifetime and you get to the retirement age and you're going to take the money out and you're going to start paying taxes on that money as well. Um, that's, that's, that's exactly Monica, the problem with the 401k. So let me just explain that really fast for everyone that's joining us. But I just want to digress for one second to what you said yeah. and, and, and just talk about President Trump's tax reform. I do think that, you know, he is a little bit of a catch-22 because he wants to bring this money back from overseas and get it back over here to really keep off the recession that will come because we, we are due for a recession right. and probably a big one. So he sees this as a way to keep the recession at bay, which is what he needs to do because he wants to be an economically successful president. But the only way he can do that is if he passes some sort of tax reform. So I would tell you that our tax problems um, are compounded by right. the tax cut that he just gave us. However, uh, the fact that we had $20 trillion of debt on the day he was inaugurated right. and the fact that the boomers on the verge of retirement, of course, have right. nothing to do with this most recent tax reform. So uh, has, it, has the most recent tax reform helped the tax problem? No, of course not. Has his deficit uh, budget plans helped the tax you know, debt going up? No, of course not. But certainly um, that is not the cause of all of what, what I'm talking about because we already had $20 trillion of debt and we already had right. retirement was moving for sure. Um, so the way the 401k works is, and it's unfortunate because this is the history of America. We've gotten used to this instant gratification. Look, government, I saved for retirement. I deserve something for that. What are you going to give me? Oh, well, we're not going to tax you on that money right now. So even though you earned X amount of dollars, we're not going to tax you as if you earned X. We're only going to tax you on a lesser amount because you put part of X into retirement. So we've become conditioned in America, unfortunately, when we tied yeah. pre-taxation with, you know, retirement building, we've become conditioned to sort of think that we deserve some kind of brownie points or lower taxes because right. we have contributed to our retirement fund. And that is ridiculous. Um, we have a responsibility for our own self. Like our life and our destiny is up to us. And thank God it's up to us. Thank God that we're not born into, you know, some communist country and over in Eastern Europe where we, it doesn't matter what we do or what we become or what we make of ourselves, the government's going to tell us the kind of lifestyle that we're going to live. Thank God we in America, United States of America, still have the ability to some extent to say the kind of life that we are going to achieve for ourselves. That means that we have to take personal responsibility for the life that we do achieve for ourselves. And we right. do not need the government giving us a tax deduction because we've put money aside for our future. That's our responsibility. And the second that we can disassociate and disjoint and dismarry um, the pre-tax tax benefit from saving for retirement, the second people will realize I'm actually hurting myself by connecting tax policy to my retirement savings. I have hurt myself in the future because right now, in 2018, with this tax reform that we've just discussed, we have some of the lowest tax rates that we've had since Ronald Reagan was president 30 years ago. And so why in the world would we not pay the tax 
on earnings that we make in 2018 in 2018 with the lowest taxes we've had in 30 years, why would we defer paying that tax for some 10, 15, 20, even 30 years from now when we retire and the tax rate by definition must be higher because of all the people that have gone into retirement, Social Security, Medicare, and this national debt as we have it. Tax rates in the future are going to be ugly. They're pretty right now. In fact, I would go as far as to say they're on sale right now. So now is the time to pay the tax on as much pre-tax earnings that you have built because we are never going to see taxes like this again. We just can't. So that is important. People don't understand. Oh, I'm getting a tax break right now. Yeah, but when you're 60 and you're retired and you don't want to work anymore and the government raises the taxes to 40%, and you go to pull it out, now you have to go become a Walmart greeter because of the amount of taxes they're taking out of your retirement account that you could have paid back 20 years ago, 15 years ago, last year, you know, 10 years ago, and you could have paid maybe less than 20% on it. And now you're paying 40 because you pay it in the future when we need more tax, you know, revenue. All right, so a great advice would be just take the money that you would basically, you know, you still put money in the Roth IRA and, you know, all that stuff, but take anything you have extra and just invest it and make sure you're taking care of it now because you're paying money on the money that you're investing. You're, you're paying money on, you're paying taxes on the money you're investing. You pay, because it's, it's considered income. It's not, you know, after tax or pre-tax or um, all that stuff. So it's, it's, it's a different ball game basically when you have the money. Yes, you're making, you're paying the taxes now, but it's going to get you to a little bit more money later on in life and you won't be able to, you won't have to pay taxes on it later on in life. Um, because yeah, well, well, if, you you the, if you use the Roth, the Roth is an after-tax vehicle that's tax-free forever on all the growth as well. There's other accounts as well that you can invest in that all of their growth is tax-free and the access to that, that growth is tax-free during your lifetime. So there are, are alternative uh, strategies that you can implore that you can pay the tax now put funds in the account and never pay tax again and yet still have these funds grow and be accessible during your lifetime. So that's the, those are the choices. Pay the tax now and be done with the tax. Settle your account, have control, or don't pay your tax. Get a tax break right now while taxes are low because you're just used to the instant gratification of having less tax now even though taxes right. are low and pay the tax some future point when the government tells you what the tax will then be and we expect that it will be a lot higher because of the fact that the needs will be a lot higher. Awesome. Um, all right, so I'm going to switch it up a little bit. Um, what do we need to bring more women into finance? Like, you're a woman in finance. You've been doing this for 20 years. You, you've been involved in it, basically. You've been thinking about money and, and all that since you were four years old. So, you know, not a lot of women go through necessarily that specific experience, and not a lot of women, even in your situation, not a lot of women would have gone into finance. They could have gone into, um, I don't know, uh, becoming a CEO of, um, you are a CEO, <laughs> you know, going the corporate route, you know, there are other ways of making money is what I'm trying to say. So how do we get more women into finance? Because once we understand finance, it's not this really, you know, bad wolf um, that, that we're, we're dealing with. Once you understand that and you understand it's just numbers and, you know, a, ways, a, a way of manipulating the, not the system, but basically the system and uh, uh, getting to, you know, financial independence, how do we get more women into finance? Well, I think the easiest way is to just demystify it, like make it, you know, ba- not basic. It's not going to be basic, but, you know, to make women feel like it's a, it's achievable, it's attainable. And, and for them to, a lot of women to think that, um, 
finances so beyond them. They're really, like I said, there's so many women are running the financial financial houses of America. They're really doing it maybe without even realizing what they're doing. And and they're making these decisions by even not making decisions, by not sitting down and coming up with a long-term plan. They're really having a plan. Their plan is no plan. And that's a terrible plan. So what we need to, women to do is, and I don't know how, but I really feel like the public school system in America needs basic finance as a standard course. I agree. Um, I mean, it, Nobody teaches I mean, you at any it, level. It needs to be, you know, part of math, science, English, finance. <laughs> finance 101. But I think we need to de- demystify it. And we need to let women know that, you know, women actually have a great aptitude for math and all things financial. There's a lot of women, there's a lot of parts of our brain, the way we think, that are naturally uh, inclined to math and finance. And, and unlike a man in some parts which I know sounds sexist, but it's just a fact of the way the human brain works. Um, so it's shocking to me that a lot more women don't find finance naturally. Um, you know, and I, and I think it's because it's been such a male-dominated profession exactly. for yeah. so long. And I can t- attest to that. Every single time I graduated in any kind of college class, I was always in the minority. I mean, um, women now are starting to take over law classes. They're like 51% now, which is right. hasn't been the case. But, um, like, for example, when I graduated from NYU, there was about 111 students, and, you know, like 14% of us were women. And this was a taxation, advanced degree in taxation right. um, from the most prominent, you know, tax tax program in the country. So that says something, the fact that it's still only, you know, less than 25% women. Um, women are still finding that this is not, like, their career, and I just completely disagree um, I don't think you have to have, you know, that, that childhood memory to, to feel natural and right. to finance. I think that you can just love math. You know, if you're good at math, if you are ever good, if you go back to second grade and think, wow, it came easy to me, you probably have a knack for finance. You know, math and mathematics is a science. I love math because that is where I get the control from. Like, I wanted to be in control, and math is control because math is always right. It's very black. It's very white. It's not got a lot of gray area. You can figure out the right answer. It will come up with the right answer every single time, and that is what gives me the sense of control. Okay, let's do the mathematical computations and solve the equation of your yeah. life, and I wish a lot of women knew that it gave you that power because it's so empowering. That's awesome. Um, and, and so a lot of people that go into math, they're like, oh, I'm going to go into, you know, STEM or I'm going to go into tech or, you know, sometimes they go into languages, but we're not encouraged to go into finance. Like our parents are not encouraging us to go into finance. And so it takes a lot of, like we were talking about earlier, you know, um, motivate, not, not just motivation, but responsibility for yourself. And sometimes it takes that kind of, yes, I'm going to do this. I will do this. That doesn't matter, you know, what my parents are, you know, encouraging me or not encouraging me to do. But, you know, if, if, if you're good at something, basically follow it. And, you know, if it, if it makes you feel good about, you know, what you're doing and, you know, obviously makes you feel good to help all these people that you're helping, all these clients that you're having. And so, and, and you know, you're helping everybody but every time you go on, on TV and you're helping everybody with your book right now. So, and you're helping everybody that's listening to, to our podcast right now as well. So, um, it, it, the impact that you can make in finance as a woman, I think it's, it's a little bit larger because a lot of um, the industry is, is male dominated. Still, yeah. it's like six, it's still 16% women in the industry. Yeah, so did true. You, did you find that, um, you know, like when you started working in the industry, you, you were obviously one of the few women working in, in the company, or maybe you were the first woman working in the company. How was that for you in the beginning? 
Um, I, I actually had a wonderful experience, though. I was very Good. fortunate. I got my first job with PricewaterhouseCoopers so Coopers and Library, and it was, you know, um, a global position on the forefront of management consulting. That's the group I went with. I went with a management consulting group of Pricewaterhouse and eventually PricewaterhouseCoopers. My boss was a female that was based in London, and we both worked with a global managing partner of financial services for PricewaterhouseCoopers Management Consulting. So, I mean, I, I just was so fortunate to get such a, pro, not progressive in the sense of, but basically didn't view women differently than men. And from my, the, the perspective I had and, and, the, and the experience I had, which was very rare, but that's even being the case, there's, the, you know, a company can only do so much if there's not women that are going into the field and getting the education they need to be able to professionally practice the, you know, the, the actual discipline, they can't do much about that. So we have right. to encourage women at the primary education level, and we just have to encourage them that, that finance is actually a beautiful thing. And if you have any kind of analytical mind or any kind of mathematical mind where you can really see the beauty of math because it solves equations, which life is an equation. Finance is just a big lifetime equation of what money you're going to make, what money you're going to spend, and what you're going to leave behind. That's all finance is on a personal level. On a corporate level, obviously, completely different. But on a, on a personal level, that's the finance of our lives. You know, what am I going to bring in over my lifetime? What am I going to spend in my lifetime? And what am I going to leave behind? Because I can't take it with me when I go. So that's basic finance for a lifetime. And for me, that's the equation of life is what it's all about. It's all about you know, what impact are you going to have for your family and your loved ones for your having been here? And you know, what kind of life are you going to live along the way? And so for me, that's the beauty of life, and that's why I love finance and math so much, and that's what it, it can empower all of us to do. And so, so, you know, we only have one life, Monica. We have to do everything we can to just give it everything we have every single day and to keep persevering, even when it's tough, even when it seems like it's never going to change. You just got to keep going through it and know that, you know, you'll come out on the other end and, and you'll be there. That's awesome. Uh, Rebecca, you've had a mentor or um, an advocate that's helped with your career, that's, that's helped you, um, you know, go on a path that's, you know, beneficial for you. Um, who, who are those people, and, and not necessarily by name, but like, tell me you've had somebody that's helped out. Um, so, because it's always important to, to bring somebody up with you when you go up. So, yeah, um, tell us about your experience. Yeah, so it's actually funny because, um, like I was just talking about my job with Pricewaterhouse when I was 21 years old, and my boss um, was a single female in London, and she just, I was so impressed with her, she was so on top of it, she was a finance genius, and I remember being in London and, and around the world, New York, Paris, a lot of places with her, and uh, it would be her and I traveling together, and um you know, I always just looked up to her and thought so much, so highly of her, and she was always so very pro uh, our abilities as professional women. Never even, it wasn't even a thing. Like, it wasn't even something we discussed, like, well, we're women and we're on the forefront. It right. was, I think this was the 90s, the late 90s that we're talking about here. <laughs> and, um, you know, it was just, we knew what we were doing. We had our shit together. Whoops. No, it's okay. <laughs> trust me. It's totally fine. <laughs> We had our stuff together, and uh, and no one and no one was questioning it. So it wasn't even like, oh, well, we weren't doing this thing. But now it's funny because I now have a team, and um, I have a young millennial um, who's in her mid twenties, and she's 
great and so full of, you know, a future, a bright, bright future. And I've been traveling a lot with her with the book tour and all the, the actual media stuff that I do. And, you know, I, I sort of sat back and realized, oh, my gosh, like, this pattern is, like, repeating. Like, now I'm the woman uh, with this, you know, high level of success in my um, in my early 40s, 44. <laughs> and, um, and she's, you know, the millennial that's young and traveling all around with me. And it's just, you know, it's just great. It's just great to see that I, I can do what, what she did for me. I'm hopefully able to do for um, you know this this person and I, and it's just wonderful you know you just I my team I do have a, a couple of guys but the truth is I have a team of women like we are running my whole operation and I don't know what it is it's not that I don't relate well to men because I do I have a lot of male clients Obviously, and we relate yeah. we relate very very well to men but um I just think women are so capable and I can you know tell them one thing and. And it, and it can just get done, and it's not like after, you know, I just I just work well with women. I just have a team of powerful women. That is awesome, and it's so inspirational because, um, like I said, very few numbers of women, you know, the numbers are very low of, of women in finance. So I'm, I'm glad you're supporting and encouraging um, of women coming into the industry and, you know, showing that there's a future, actually, for women in the industry. So thank you so much. Sure. For your, that, was, that was awesome. So um, I have a couple more personal questions, if that's okay. Sure. Um, what's your favorite book? And, yes, I want to talk about the book that you wrote, but what's your favorite book before you wrote your book or after you wrote your book? Well, um, I probably, my biggest love, you know, obviously math and finance that we've talked about, but really economics is the intersection of math and finance together in, in an overall system. And so I think that maybe Adam Smith's Invisible Hand, The Wealth of Nations was a really instrumental book for me because it sort of laid out a philosophy yeah. of human nature, really. It's yeah. a human nature philosophy. And it, and, it, and it, it, the world over, I don't care what kind of government you're born into, what kind of regime they have, um, the humanist nature of wanting what we want, you know, when we want it, um, and how we'll try to get at it is, is going to repeat itself excessively over and over and over. And so I, I think that book was probably really instrumental for me to understand the American system and, you know, how sort of the other systems around the world have problems innately because of how they're designed to be sort of against human nature. Um, so that's probably one of the most influential books of my life, for sure. That is, that is awesome. Um, a little bit about um, Wealth Unbroken. It's on Amazon. Um, I'll have a link to it. We already put up a link on our, um, on a, on our social media platform um, to your book. But um, give us, like, a little bit of uh, information about the book, a little bit of... Well, sort of just what we've been talking about today, there's really two fundamental big problems with the way America has built wealth for the last 30 years. <coughs> and sorry, Monica, 30 years ago, the way we built wealth made sense. It actually really made sense. But I stepped back as somebody who's in the legal space and the financial space and look to see if the uh, conventional financial advice that, uh, that we are spewing from all of our big massive corporations yeah. or, you know, even our employment has changed since the 80s. And I thought about, you know, in the 80s, in the early 80s, my gosh, we, we didn't even have home computers. Like there weren't even DOS printers at home in the early 80s. But like the, the, the first com personal computer hadn't even been created yet. Then we finally got computers at home. When we got computers at home, all we had was software with the DOS printers. We didn't even have internet. The internet didn't come around until the 90s. And then we got cell phones. We had pages, then cell phones. 
And right. then, you know, we've gone through all of that to get to a point where, you know, now we have these devices that have like super apps on our phone where we could run our life from our phone wherever we are as long as we had a signal. Um, and I thought through all of that and I thought, how has financial advice, how is building what you're going to live off of for the rest of your life, how has that advice changed? And you know it has not changed. And 30 plus years of all the stuff that we have been through from the globalization of the world, you know, right. from all businesses, from the internet, from cell phones, from connectivity, social apps, you know, you know, applications on your smartphone, and our financial advice has not changed. It is still the same advice. And is that a problem, good thing? No, it's a horrible, <laughs> it's a horrible thing. The, is, the advice that made sense in 1980 does That's not nice. make sense in 2018. If you look at where we were and what made sense then versus where we are and what could possibly make sense now, it's actually night and day. They do not, they should not correlate at all, and they are. And that's a big problem. So my book is controversial in the sense that I'm sort of taking on all of mainstream conventional wisdom and saying, what is wrong with you people giving the same advice for the last 30 plus years, 37 years, and yeah. yet the whole world has changed and certainly America has changed and our tax picture has changed, our everything has changed and yet our advice hasn't. I mean, I'm speaking to, um, in September, I'm speaking to, you know, thousands of advisors in Las Vegas at a conference for advisors saying, is yeah. it time for you to wake up and realize that you are potentially committing malpractice by just, you know, blindly and blithely giving the same advice year over year over year without actually challenging, does this make advice even make sense anymore? So this is a message that's coming, and, and there's no stopping it. You know, we have to get on the right side of history here and make sure people understand where we are in 2018 and where we're headed because it's not going to be pretty if people just stay on the same conventional path. It's going to lead them to a bad result, unfortunately. Makes sense. Welcome, Broken, Rebecca Walter. One last question. Um, you have a billboard and um, you can put it anywhere you want. What message would you put on it and where would you put this uh, billboard? Oh my gosh, that is a tough question, Monica, because, you know, uh, I have so many main things that I like to communicate. But I would just probably say, at the end of it all, you know, everyone thinks that the goal is money. And the goal really in life is not money. The goal is really what you can, what money enables you to do. So ultimately, your ultimate goal, your ultimate purpose is not money. It's either security that money brings, or it's the lifestyle you can give your family, or some kind of, it's something besides money. The money is the means to the end. So find out what that end is. Find out what that ultimate goal is of your life, and then design everything around, every day of your life around that ultimate goal, because that's really what we're actually after, not the money. <laughs> and that's being said by Rebecca Holder. <laughs> True. <laughs> right. So thank you so much, Rebecca. This was a like, fantastic interview. I really appreciate it. But how can they get in touch with you? How can people get in touch with you? The best way is our website, of course. It's Walter. And Walter is W-A-S-W-A-L-S-E-R. It's like wall and then sir, like S-I-R, but it's spelled S-E-R. So Walter Wealth, WalterWealth.com, or they can email us info at Walter Wealth. 
we'll have all of that information um, as well as um, your social media channels as well uh, included with that as well as a link to the, the book because everybody should be reading if we're going to get ready for what's coming we need to start you know getting prepared right now and personal responsibility is one of those things that we've learned today <laughs> so we'll be we'll be doing that uh, thank you so much everybody have a great rest of your day top of the world top of Thank you again for tuning in today. The music for our podcast is graciously provided by our very own Wonder Woman, Cheryl B. Engelhart. Don't forget to go get your free music bundle at cbemusic.com. The finance and wealth building tips that Rebecca shared with us today are long reaching and we hope that her advice is going to make a difference in the lives of all of our listeners and help women get to retirement with more money, thinking about retirement, not thinking about how to supplement their income. Also check out morewomenmoremoney.com for details about the Houston conference coming up April 4th and to get your early bird tickets and also to select your level of involvement as a sponsor, vendor, or participant. That's morewomenmoremoney.com. Thanks everybody and remember to subscribe. See y'all next time. Bye.